0: That's a new button. Look at that. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Portland Business Podcast. I am Brian E., and today joining me is Albert Lee, a congressional candidate. We are not a political show, we don't focus on business, but I'm not going to say no when somebody messages me and wants to be on. So, Albert, let me hand it off to you. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate being
0: on. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate the outlook. Your staff is pretty awesome and, and um, very, very nice to deal with. And it's a pleasure to have you here. So since I, I really don't know too much about Albert um, and I'm going to guess, well, wait, all of your listeners will know a ton about you. But for those <laughs> yes. people who don't know you, can you give, give me the, the reader's digest or reader's long jest of, of who and what <laughs> you are?
1: Well, uh, my name is Albert Lee and I'm running to represent the people of the third district of Oregon to Congress. Uh, the final day for the, uh, for the ballots is tomorrow. Uh, we've been running this campaign for over a year. Uh, but I guess some of the things that are more important to your listeners, uh, uh, for me, my background, I'm a, a sixth generation American and an immigrant at the same time. I was born in South Korea where my African-American army dad met my Korean mom during the Vietnam War. I grew up in working class St. Louis, North County St. Louis next door to Ferguson first generation uh, college grad, first generation law school grad. Uh, Worked in a lot of different areas after being in the Army for a little bit. Uh, I worked in international business, uh, worked in project management, uh, ended up going back to law school, and then becoming an entrepreneur myself. Uh, And then most recently, I was one of the deans at Portland Community College, specifically uh, the dean for business and computing.
0: Um, You mentioned 3rd District of Oregon in the very beginning. And if I'm I'm not looking at you. For those who don't know, this is shot on video, so we have some, some eye contact. Yeah, uh, yeah. What is the 3rd District? What does that mean? Is that like like Brooks, Oregon? Are you way, way, way south, East oh, Oregon? No, no,
1: no. No, no. So uh, the 3rd District is actually uh, the most compact of the five districts that we have currently. We're likely to get a 6th District for 2022 after the census. Uh, but the 3rd District is comprised mainly of all of Portland east of the Mal- Willamette River, Okay. A little tiny sliver of Northwest Portland in the downtown area, a little bit larger part of Southwest Portland. And then uh, it goes all the way out to Mount Hood uh, in the Northern part of
0: Clackamas County. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've got quite the, you got from farmland at, at the East counties mm-hmm. to into downtown urban hipster coffee roasting.
1: You got it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I think the breakdown is something like uh, 85% urban, um, the remainder uh rural um and but again the majority of the population is in portland proper
0: Wow, So you end, do you feel that you end up with a pretty split focus in that third district from the the what the eighty five percentile downtown wants compared to that fifteen percent out in the rural area well
1: you know i I know that a lot of people want to say that there 's that kind of a divide and a split, but I think generally speaking. When you're talking about the the people of the third district, it is the most progressive, one of the most progressive districts in the country. Uh, but that being said, I think uh, uh, we're looking at a, a lot of uh, working class issues, a lot of uh, issues that uh, regular working class folks are looking at, both in the rural areas as as, uh, as, as well as the uh, urban areas.
0: Sure, sure. Now, as we chat, I sit my... My, my shameless plug for roseline coffee roseline roasters in in your district in portland mm-hmm. and I know that uh they face a lot of a lot of challenges that a lot of other people in that area do right from clients that have people I know, and their staff all lives in that area, so it's a very very realistic thing so law school tell me about that what uh did you focus on a certain area of law did you practice
1: you know I focused on international human rights law um so uh, when when I went to law school, uh, the interesting thing was I was working as a project manager at, at General Electric down in Salem, and this was just prior to the recession, and uh, so- I was working on the assumption of first in first out, right, or, or last in first out. Uh, right, so-, so I was the last of a dozen project managers hired, and you know we saw that the the, the climate was turning south, so I initially started looking at how do I mark get myself ready and marketed for another position in project management. So I started studying for uh the PMP certification, project management certification, uh so that I could land on my feet should uh I find myself laid off or uh or otherwise. While I was doing that, I decided to take an LSAT test on a LARC, a practice test. And I did fairly well. Better than I, I thought I would. And uh I really never had an idea or thought of going to law school, but uh Having taken that practice test, I said, maybe if I studied really hard, I could actually you know knock it out of the park and so I did, and I did um, and uh, you know for me, i don't come from a legal background, my family has no, no idea of that culture or that uh, area uh, or industry generally speaking, so uh, when I walked into law school, it was sort of kind of blind, quite honestly, but I kind of followed
0: the things that were of interest to me, and that led me toward uh, human rights law so in the human rights law were you more of a corporate attorney then or were you dealing with um, uh, single individual clients or
1: no so actually I didn't practice um, okay I, I I started law school uh, at possibly the worst time um, right 2008 sure uh, it was the height of the recession
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in fact that October I believe 10,000 lawyers lost their jobs um, and it had a cascading effect with everything within the legal industry. So typically speaking, and this is something I learned after the fact, is generally speaking, you study very hard your first year of law school. And mm-hmm. your first year of law school is the make it or break it year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you secure your first year summer internship or law law position. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do well, you get invited back to second. And if you get do well, you get invited Uh, To have a position when you graduate. That's typically how it works. Uh, But with this recession, what happened was that uh, a lot of the folks that were promised positions in their third year of law school were were told by the people who promised them positions, hey, you know what? Times are tough. Why don't you go uh, do some pro bono work for a year and then you'll come back. We'll have a job for you. And that kind of pushed everybody else back. So my first summer, uh, very few people got Uh, that first summer internship. And uh, so that directed me into other areas, which is why I went to Oxford to study international human rights law. Um, I found um, a program there uh, and I was provided a a decent scholarship from the law school to do so. Nice, Um, But that in turn kind of pushed everything else back.
0: And yeah. Yeah. It kind of shifts that trajectory. Like, Hey, I'm going to do this. Oh, maybe not. I'm going to go this way. Um, Where did the entrepreneur piece come in?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, throughout my life, I've always been someone that has been thinking about, you know, solutions to things, right? Uh, If there's Mm -hmm. an itch, you got to scratch it, right? Yep. Um, And when uh, it was, this was toward the uh, uh, end of oh 2014 or so, Uh, my wife and I, uh, we had our daughter, uh she uh we we wanted to make it so that one of us could stay at home with her uh so that you know we could uh you know have some at least one of us bond with our daughter uh you know the first year of her life um but in order to do so uh it meant that we would have to move uh because we simply couldn't afford to live on one income sure uh, so we found uh, a place to live outside of DC and I was working, at that time, I was working for the American Bar Association. Okay. Um, and we ended up living way out in West Virginia. So I took a two and a half hour train ride, uh, a 90, uh, two and a half hour total commute okay. one way to, wow. to, to get into work every day. And it afforded her the opportunity to stay at home. Damn. Now, while she was at home, she was using her skills in uh, graphic design and, and, and website building mm-hmm. uh, to effectively start her own uh, small little out of the house business. when we decided to move and return back to Oregon to raise our daughter, uh, that sounded like a very good idea to start a business. You know, I already had some connections and mm-hmm. and 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 uh, relationships out here uh, from previously living in Portland. Uh, she had some amazing skills. We were able to build a mom and pop shop. Uh, initially, we worked out of um, uh, some shared workspace before we had our own brick and mortar.
0: Wow. So you, you're you one part of a, a team that's doing design web work. Is that what I hear?
1: Well, uh, no longer. I mean, okay. so that that we did that for about three years. Um, and uh, like I said, we started mom and pop. We started bringing in more folks um, and then we kind of split up duties. So I did the operations
0: and sales and she had she the art did, and design side. Did the work side. Sure. Yep. Got it. Um, daughter, 2014. So your daughter's six-ish? Six. Mm-hmm. First grade? Kindergarten. Kindergarten, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, like yeah. it?
1: <laughs> you know, it, with the, with this crisis right now, it's all up in the air. We were doing this remote learning. She's upstairs <laughs> right know. now trying to do some remote learning. Yeah. Uh, it's it's bonkers. It's uh, uh, a brave new world. I don't know what to say. We're, yeah. we're, we're going to figure it out as we go along.
0: Yeah. It's a tough time for, for your situation because she had, what, six months? Not even four months in school before –
1: well, yeah, I mean, about uh, yeah, I remember, the, the fall, assume, yeah. and then, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: A month and a half a or so in half, the year.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, so just, it's, it's really difficult for her because she's an only child, and there are no other kids in the neighborhood, and it's not like this shit. My wife would let her play with them anyways. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, these, these uh, Zoom playdates, which are kind of ridiculous, you know? Oh, They'll have funny. one kid with a ball in their hand, and another kid on the other side with a ball in their hand. And there's like, let's play ball.
0: How it's many like- broken, broken screens, <laughs> broken monitors have happened with this this action going on?
1: Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, I've been trying to. We've been trying to do some things to help her out. Uh, she and the dog have bonded a lot more now. Um, okay. But you know, I've got a tent out on the deck now, so that's her little play tent and sort of her own little space that she can get away to.
0: Nice. Yeah. So we're we're making do. Very cool. Um, so tell me about your, you opened a mom and pop shop when you came out to Portland. Mm-hmm. What was your biggest uh, challenge doing it? And, and start there. What, what, what did you find?
1: You know, so, so the biggest challenge, I think, for everyone, especially when you're looking at an industry where your reputation uh, has, to, uh, you, you, you kind of rely on your reputation to build business, mm-hmm. is developing that initial uh, set of business because yep. a lot of our book of business was on the, on the East Coast. You know, so we had mm-hmm. clients on the East coast, but that doesn't translate to clients on the West coast. You, you, it's sure you can show them and demonstrate the things that you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they don't know that, that organization or that group, they're like, well, we don't know that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so that was, that was initially the hardest thing was, was to, um, you know, get that buy-in, get that assurance. Uh, and the really, the only way to overcome that was to do a lot of face-to-face conversations and, and yeah. provide that genuine, uh, assurance to uh, clients to say, "Hey, we're here. This is where our offices are. Uh, you know, we. Uh, this is what we do. This is what we specialize in. And this is what we can promise you. And this is what we can't promise you. And this is what it's going to cost."
0: Gotcha. Um, what What was your time uh, from when you came to Portland, the start of that, to when you transitioned out of it? Give me so.
1: Um, let's see. We We got here at the beginning of 2015 uh, again. So I left Portland in 2008. Uh, we returned in 2015, and then uh, um, I started transitioning out of it in 2017. Okay. Uh, so I was kind of having, wearing a couple of different hats at that time um, as I transitioned to becoming one of the deans at Portland Community College. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, my wife still actually has the business. Well, um, uh, we've trans- translated that into a, a single-member LLC. Uh, it used to be um, um, a partnership. And so it's a single member of LLC, but she's got a day job that she works as well. So okay. she's juggling the two things right now and we're no longer taking on uh, many new clients. We still have some residual business, uh, but we've done um, some pretty prolific uh, websites and designs, uh, some small businesses like the Delicious Donuts Outfit um, and Grab a Giro uh, and then uh, and Hardesty's uh, political campaign. We did the website and branding for that. Okay. Um, Partners for Hunger Free Oregon, uh, a couple of different coffee uh, folks and the like, but mainly we focused on nonprofits and small businesses like ourselves.
0: Nice. Yeah. And delicious donuts. Good donuts. Oh, a yeah. Solid one there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're huge donut fans in my house, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so the, the if you ever go down to Grand and, and uh, Burnside, the, the, the logo there is, is one of our designs. The, nice. Uh, donut with two birds.
0: Very, very cool. Yeah, and and you're speaking to to the majority of the audience in that in that regard to the challenge of finding clients. I mean, there's a, a on my left you have a little list of things that I commonly hear what the challenges are, and that's like the top one of the top eight. You know, yeah. uh, finding and, and and managing new relationships and new customers is. is yeah. You're not speaking a strange language to anybody that's listening to this podcast. Well,
1: no, and and that's kind of the thing when it comes to any business. Right now, what I'm doing right now is basically another business. And mm-hmm. I have spent the last year, uh, reaching out and trying to get folks to buy into this campaign and contribute money to, uh, so
0: to basically a very, um, intangible concept. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's very much, very much intangible. There's no transfer of anything, just, uh, uh, uh this, like, I like you, I I'm with what you want to do and let's, right. let's push forward. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So and what you've learned in your entrepreneurial days as well as your corporate days, to those listening to this podcast, what could you what could you tell them or give that's gonna help them take their business today and and bring it to that to where they wanna go, maybe to the next level or maybe just a little bit better at what they're doing?
1: Yeah, you know, um I, I gotta tell you, this year of campaigning has helped a lot uh to to realize that you just gotta put yourself out there. You really do. Uh, I know uh, you got to have faith in in your your business, and you got to have faith and belief uh, in your uh, in what you're doing, uh, because that's going to translate. That's going to transfer over to the people that you talk to directly. Uh, and then uh, again, you know, um, had I had as much confidence as I, as I have here currently with with this endeavor, mm-hmm. I, I think we would have secured a lot more uh, uh, business, and we were uh, we would be able to do uh, a, a lot more uh, growth in that. Uh, and then the second thing is i think um, you've got to make sure that you value uh you yourself and your product and your and your services uh properly uh we we tended to do a lot of undercutting of our own business uh mm-hmm. at the beginning which sure. was uh uh
0: unnecessary i think yeah really i mean i i think a lot of businesses if you're listening to this hopefully they understand the the customer acquisition cost like what does it cost us an intangible or an intangible to, to get one new customer. Mm-hmm. And I do know that a lot of people when they're starting, the, the free work or the heavily discounted work is a very, very easily um, mathematized customer acquisition cost.
1: You know, specifically within artistic fields, design fields, um, I feel that, um, you know, I'll tell you what, um, in fact, uh, I'm going to steal something from... One of uh, my business professors at Portland Community College, um, he was telling me he, he has a kill on the side. And he does a sculpture and metalwork okay. on the side. Uh, uh, you know, he's a business professor by day, sculptor artist by night. And uh, for the longest time, uh, he would try to sell his pieces in the three to four hundred dollar range, and nothing would go. And he said, "Screw it." He added a zero. He said, "If I'm not going to sell it at three to four hundred, I'm." I might as well not sell it for 3,000 to 4,000. Right. And as soon as he added that second, that, that final zero uh, things were going off like hotcakes. Yeah. So uh, again, I think uh, oftentimes when it comes to the artistic uh, we undervalue ourselves. uh, And, and typically I I really hate that whole idea of, well, you know, this is going to help develop your reputation or your cred, or it's going to get you um, some, some um, exposure. I, 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 no, uh, you got to eat. You know, you got to. <laughs> yes, gotta you can't eat. eat this, you can't eat exposure.
0: You can't. No, you cannot eat exposure. And and if you live in inner city Portland, you like to eat well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Portland is definitely a food town, and and this you mentioned the crisis earlier. This crisis is definitely hurting the oh, food geez, business. Yes,
1: yes, without a doubt. You know, um, I I think about, I, and I'm I I, I want to reach out to a couple of, of entrepreneurs I know. Um, FOMO chicken is, um, run by Sonny, one of, uh, uh, a very good a Korean entrepreneur Does mm-hmm. Korean fried chicken, um, at a, um, one of the, um, what do you call it? the, um, food carts? Okay. Um, and it was,
0: was it FOMO chicken? Is that what I heard? Yeah,
1: FOMO. FOMO. Yeah. Like Fear of missing
0: out. Yes. Oh, that's and, awesome. What a and, great brand. And, and
1: I gotta tell you, that stuff is really good. It really is. Okay. Uh, but then I, th- I think about people like my barber also um you know and he's been out of out of work no it's seriously he's been out of work for two months um and, no. and i i really am concerned about how how these people are faring especially when uh they're not
0: considered part of um you know this the the economic supports that have been given out yeah no i completely agree and and uh you know my hairdresser is the same way i know they she's uh, whether she started or or someone did sort of go fund me campaign that we contributed to because yeah i i could feel that pain like i would have gone to her and and paid had mm-hmm. you been in business so you know shipping that same budgetary amount away for me was good well the, humor,
1: I, you know, the thing is you know this might actually um start getting people to think about their businesses in different ways like i think uh, uh, the barbers and, and whatnot maybe they should switch over to a subscription-based uh, type of a service
0: yeah there is i would completely agree with that where you have a set your challenge of business become you know your, your fixed cost your unknowns and your unknowns mm-hmm. And with, when you have a subscription model and you have a pretty good idea of what's going to come and you have a you can figure your ratio of ads and drops like right. we lose five or ten percent but we get five or ten percent more a month Mm-hmm. um yeah that's that's a really really great a really great piece of feedback yeah to go through first model. so so for those who can't see Albert Lee, i chuckled when he mentioned his barber because he's got <laughs> not the fullest head of hair but he's got a <laughs> wax job on that like i can see his ceiling There's a little
1: shine right now
0: yeah he's got he's got i can tell you he's got seven little lights above him
1: yeah <laughs> i'll tell you what it's it's um you know, I've been using my little Norelco shaver every day yeah. uh, because I, I'm, I'm missing some hair up here. And he does magic where it doesn't look like it's missing. So, uh, and, and so I'm guessing I, he, he does some of this,
0: this trimming up for you. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is a little, little wild right now. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. yeah, so yeah. Albert's a good-looking guy. I mean, he's got, he's got a very – I can see where you go to a barber because he's got a nice cap, scalp and he's got some beard and some facial hair so i gotta, yeah. I gotta work for the audience here and, and talk talk to look like i can see where you go to a barber and i mean i bet you look dialed coming out of that like yes yes I, right I, I, I truly miss him um
1: but uh yeah tess uh tess is my barber uh and hopefully uh he'll be able to get back in business here uh and take on some new clients but um yeah
0: for those businesses that are gonna kind of forge through some of this I mean, this, this is a huge challenge for service industry, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a high contact, high contact, meaning lots of bodies to the door, lots of FaceTime with people, they have to, they're the most affected. Mm-hmm. How, how would you say beyond like a script, subscription model for a barber genius or, or a hairdresser? Mm-hmm. What else can a high contact business do to help, to help streamline and smooth out their business moving forward? Like what else would you change beyond subscription model?
1: You know, I think that you have to keep some tight schedules, and um, you know, put maybe put in some kind of penalties for uh, you know, twenty-four hour cancellation, or or whatever. Uh, you know, kind of reduce your waiting room so sort of like just in time when it comes to right. your customers coming in. Um, you know, I know there's a difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. I lived on the East Coast. I live on the West Coast. East Coast, you say three o'clock, people are there at three o'clock. You say three o'clock here, 3:15 three fifteen, three twenty-five. Uh, yeah. So I think there might need to be a little bit of a culture shift, and you might need to train your customers accordingly.
0: Oh, I agree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think so. some of what we see in that is Portland. You were here in 08. it's radically changed in 12 years. Radically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I grew up here, so I I think '98. Mm-hmm. Portland was a town where you could live in Hillsboro, you know, Intel campus. So 229th. Let's. 300 blocks from the river it's mm-hmm. almost the same as sandy right mm-hmm. from, a, from a from a crow fly distance to Portland but you could right. live in Hillsborough and you could transact business on the east side of portland and it have it be a, a 25 minute commute you have it be oh yeah really I remember I
1: remember those days and you know now with the COVID crisis you know I was in St John's dropping off yard signs earlier uh, three weeks ago I'd be able to make it back down to Berlin game in, in 10 15 minutes it was just yeah. wild it was, I felt like I was back in 2005
0: yeah and so I think some of that the the density increase we've had in our town has really affected business and um your your inability to to really have things separate people need to silo more mm-hmm. so I wonder if in that w- when you see t- business schedules tightening, doing maybe penalties for you know being late being tardy or whatever it may be, you'll see people shift how they do business more granularly locally as opposed to across town.
1: Well, I think, I think we should be moving that way, generally speaking, anyways. I think that we need to have a more efficient footprint when it comes to our urban core. Uh, okay. It doesn't make sense to have that much pollution and transit and everything else. We need to do everything we can to reduce the congestion and reduce the amount of uh, uh, exposure that we're having, not only of uh, during this crisis, but of, of the uh, fossil fuel fumes that we have coming out True. of our tailpipes.
0: Yeah, but I, until... What, until Intel and Nike make a Lake Oswego campus, you know, odds are pretty far and few between people are going to move from Lake Oswego to to West Hillsboro. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, we we can do some other things to help mitigate the congestion. Uh, You know, for instance, I think we can make some of our public roads truly public. And what I mean by that is taking 10 or 25% of our public roads and making them for only uh, public transit vehicles and emergency vehicles. Uh, sure, that will increase congestion initially, but I think that'll incentivize people to take that public transit, especially if we can make that public transit uh, a lot more high frequency and a lot more efficient. Uh, and we make it more efficient by providing them, uh, you know, closed access roads, and we make it uh, more frequent
0: by in- injecting more funds into the public transit systems. Sure, hey, Portland's got some some transportation challenges from from square one. Mm-hmm. You know, it was built a river
1: that bisects it. Uh, very uh, unique uh, geography. Uh, I get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and just no offense, but dumb things are ODOT and state has done in transportation. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but when and this is factually going to be inaccurate for the listeners, so take this with a grain of salt. But in the '60s or '70s, when when 205 was built, mm-hmm. uh, there was going to be a west side 205 that would loop the other way. So if you look hey. at a map. 205 would have made a big circle around the outer perimeter and you had two. And then you would have had a
1: bypass, so you wouldn't have the traffic coming through the city. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And to to not complete that in the past 50 years is one of the dumbest things this town's done. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, I I think there are different arguments with that. I personally think that uh, uh, a bypass, a west side bypass would be beneficial, quite frankly, especially when you're looking at the geography of I-5 going down south of the city or they've got that incredible incline and the Terwilliger curves, which is near where I live. Uh, that is just incredibly difficult for our uh, commercial trucks to get through.
0: Yeah.
1: But on the yeah. flip side, maybe we shouldn't have commercial trucks. Maybe we should have most of that stuff running by rail. I was just gonna say train.
0: Yeah. Like look at look at look at smaller, denser places in the world like Europe. They they run that stuff goes on a train. Yeah. But yeah. now we're back to I mean, an infrastructure problem that Portland doesn't have the infrastructure to run rail.
1: Well. But well, I think that's uh, one of your, 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 your uh, things to help solve uh, the current crisis with, uh, with, with COVID, um, the in- upcoming recession that we're going to have. Uh, you need to have a, a federal jobs type of uh, system like the old New Deal. I was just going to uh, say. So, so I think that if you do something where you nationalize your rail system and then rebuild that infrastructure, make it a high-speed electric uh, system, you throw your cargo on rail, and then you also throw your passengers on rail, reducing the air traffic uh, on heavily polluted uh, jets, at least on a regional basis. Sure. Um, and then uh, you reduce the amount of uh, over-the-road trucks. I think that that'll help to mitigate uh, the congestion as well.
0: Yeah, but you're not, you're not going to catch me complaining. Wait, let me rephrase that. You're, going, you're, you're not going to catch me complaining if there's not a train at Southeast 7th at 10 a.m. <laughs> We've all gotten off of I-5 yes, right no, there. That in, is
1: murder right there. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just understand how they're running trains
0: through there at, at rush hour. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I know why? exactly what you're talking if about. If you lived here for six months, you've had to have gotten caught by that train or those <laughs> trains right there. And it's not 7th. Yeah. It's, what, what street is that? It's right, no, right on I'm Water seeing. Avenue. Yeah, yeah, it's like the worst. Man, it's horrible. So for our business audience, we have a handful of, of things that are always uh, an issue. We talked about um, adjustments they can make in the current situation. Um, you you talked about your own business, the challenge of getting new business and, and your belief of not discounting or devaluing your service or product to gain that business. Is there something else that comes to your mind that you could share with the audience that they can maybe turn around and take in their business that I haven't hit on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you need to, to do uh, some pretty excellent hiring. You know, take the time to, to vet per, seriously vet the people that you hire uh, and then make sure to compensate them accordingly so you don't lose them. Uh, I, I think uh, one solid employee uh, that uh, you can have faith in uh, goes a long way to helping you expand and grow your business, uh, allows you to have the time to take away and to get the rest that you're going to need yourself um, because you know, uh, as a small business owner, you're you're not getting any sleep. You're constantly thinking about what's going on, what's about to break, what's not going to happen. You know, all these contingencies and everything else. Uh, and if you can give yourself that mental break by hiring right uh, the first time, uh, that goes
0: a long way. So, what's your opinion? There's there's two general camps people fall into: hire slow and right, or hire fast. See how they fit and, and cut fast. No,
1: slow and right. Slow I, and right. I, I th- yeah, because it's it's really difficult. Uh, and and it it is so mentally draining, uh, to have to go through that process of, uh, of, uh, you know, getting rid of, uh, someone that's not a good fit and then going through the process of hiring again. And again, you can look at the numbers. It's going to cost you X amount, uh, to, to, to do that initial hire and then to replace. I would rather hire right the first
0: time, uh, and take the time slow and right. All right. Good feedback. Thank Um, what else do I have here? Oh, yeah, you've, you've hit on a handful of things I have just, just to feed you some stuff in case it didn't come to your mind. Um, but hiring and retaining top talent is definitely a a focus on every business. Um, Albert Lee says, advises or thinks, take some time, find that right person, pay them very well, keep them, keep them happy. Yeah. Well, Albert, before I, uh, end, the, end today's show is there anything else the floor is yours if you want to to speak something or, or ask me a question or
1: yeah I mean for you I mean uh, I think when it comes to entrepreneurship we all have tried and failed several times before oh, yeah. we get something right right yeah uh, it's
0: yes. not
1: a it's it's not for someone who isn't willing to take risks
0: Nope, right? not at all and I, <laughs> so I talk to business people all day long and and I'm I think a lot of people are afraid to fail or afraid of failing. Yeah. Like the word "fails" is scary to them. Yeah, and a lot of people when we're talking, I'm like, don't look at. If you always think of fail, you're gonna you're gonna negatively de incentivize yourself to take an action. Think yeah. of it as what is the cost of the lesson? Mm-hmm. Right? We're not we're not so much failing as that we're just gonna we're gonna give it a whirl and see what we can learn. And we may learn that that was right and well and and success, or we may have uh, less than. The best outcomes, i.e., failure. But now we learned something in that failure to not do again. Yeah. So,
1: what was your favorite failure?
0: Favorite failure? Um, (laughs) (sighs) My first podcast. (laughs) Since we're on a podcast, yeah, that was a pretty dang good failure. That failed miserably, Okay. I learned a ton. And it was it was funny. It was the you know, spent most of my time in marketing and business development, and the podcast was really kind of the same as today. But I just didn't. I didn't market it well. I, I marketed it. I, I phrased it as what made sense in my head. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't put myself in the listener's shoes if they didn't know me. My friends who knew me, they're like, oh, my God, that's so you. It's genius. Uh, but, yeah, not everybody knows me. So yeah. is, as much as I think people know me, like not everybody read into that. So There's, that was a good failure. That was pretty recent, too. That's fresh.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Um, for me, I would have to say um, – There was a a side business that I used to do when I lived in DC and I was working in international trade. Uh, There was a bar uh, that I would uh, barbecue at on Thursday nights Um, and sell like pulled pork sandwiches and brisket sandwiches and whatnot. And uh, they would have, um, it was in the H street neighborhood of DC Mm -hmm. and just like here with the Belmont neighborhood fair or whatever, there was a, a fair in the summertime Uh, And the bar owner said, hey, I got a spot for you at the fair. Uh, So if you want to, you know, do your little launch here, that'd be good. So he gave me a free spot and I went all out. You know, I bought a hundred brisket. I rented a giant mobile (laughs) smoker um, and got a ton of my friends to help out. Um, Ended up staying up for four days straight cooking brisket uh, with like little 15 minute mini naps. And then as we were getting closer to that Saturday, the weather turned and it ended up being a thunderstorm and And no
0: backup plan for
1: no backup plan, no backup plan whatsoever. Um, the only, we ended up breaking even, uh, I invested about $6,500 on that day. Uh, and the thing that saved our, 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 our butts that day. Oh, you can say it, you can. On. <laughs> the thing that saved our ass that day yes. <laughs> uh, was corn. So here's the thing, really? um, so uh, unexpected things that, that happened that day that I was not expecting. First mm-hmm. of all, we got harassed by a bunch of uh, young folks that were uh, PETA folks. So they started slapping PETA stickers all over our booth. And I get it. I understand and appreciate that. But still, you know, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm just a small guy trying to make a buck.
0: Tell them it's Wagyu. It's like massaged beef. Yeah. That's... <laughs> but
1: um, and I, I, we went brisket because we wanted to make sure that it was more universal as far sure. as barbecue. Because typically we do pulled pork It's a lot easier. Right. But pork is not necessarily as universal. Correct. Um, not that beef is either. Apparently, I found out with the PETA <laughs> folks um but um we uh, you know um about 2 days before all of that mm-hmm. i decided to pick up a couple of crates of corn um to go with those brisket sandwiches because i said hey you know that would pair well and yeah. and so we picked up a couple cases of corn we soaked those we smoked roasted those on the grill nice and unbeknownst to me i didn't think about this cuz i'm from the midwest i grew up in st louis and kansas city and omaha nebraska but corn on a cob apparently was something exotic uh, to the people of DC <laughs> and uh, we were able to sell each ear for like 3 dollars a piece um and I'm getting a case of corn for you know 6 bucks 6 bucks right uh so in the end uh we ha- we ended up having to give away some of the brisket and some of it we couldn't keep because yeah. we didn't have enough storage uh that had to be destroyed Wow. Uh, but the, the corn actually helped us to break even. I think we made five bucks after everything nice. was said and done. Nice.
0: Exo- <laughs> exotic corn in D.C. <laughs> exotic foodified. corn in D.C., roasted <laughs> corn. It was flying off the shelves. So, would you have done anything else there? Would you have done rain planning for that day? Would you have done well, like a tent? You know, so you think?
1: One of the things I would have listened to my buddy who was like, maybe we shouldn't do 100 brisket. Maybe we should have done 50. <laughs> that, that,
0: that'd be a good start. Right, FOMO, uh, like selling out a brisket isn't a bad thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, give them a little taste, and then you can, you can, you know, go from there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, contingency plans. Uh, also, not really, you know, because we were doing this pretty much um, as a hobby and not really a business. Not understanding all of the rules and regulations, we didn't know that the uh, uh, public safety was going to come or the health department and everything. And we were we were doing everything according to. Health uh, certificates. I had a safe serve certification, but uh, there were certain things like the number of inches that the sneeze guard had to be and stuff that we didn't know. And so we had built to uh, a standard that we thought was appropriate, but apparently wasn't. So we had to um, make uh, some adjustments on the fly. Just on the fly. But uh, do your homework ahead of time. If you're going to spend, yes. if you're going to punch, the, drop down 6,500 bucks, <laughs> uh, do your
0: homework. Good advice. Do your homework. <laughs> think, think about what is not normal, i.e. corn in D.C. Yeah. Right? yeah. Bring, bring no, something that new was, to the table. That was pretty wild. Yeah. I like it. Well, Albert, thank you so much for reaching out. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Likewise. Um, and with that, listeners, until the next episode, uh, have a great day, and we'll see you on the flip side.